Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner and a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. I work worldwide on the phone via Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever we got to do. I run a functional medicine practice. I help people get to the root cause of their health problems. People that were previously maybe shunned or told they were crazy by conventional physicians. Maybe they weren't told they were crazy, but the doctors were simply unable to help. That's where I come in and get the root causes figured out. We do organic acids testing and mycotoxin screens. We look at your zip code. Your zip code determines your health because depending on where you are in terms of latitude, that affects how much sunlight you get. That affects your proximity to highways. So we look at that. What about if you're on a golf course? I mean, these are the things that people need to ask, but they don't ask. So I dig deeper than anyone because I had to, to figure out my own health problems. And we're going to talk today about a big health problem that many people don't know much about, or if they do, they just put it under the rug, literally and figuratively, and that's trauma. So we're talking today with Dr. Amy. She's a medical doctor, a board-certified preventive medicine physician with a master's in biochemistry, master's in public health. She's an author, a speaker, a founder of Trauma Healing Accelerated and Family Challenge Camps, and the host of several summits, including an upcoming trauma summit that I'm going to be part of. I'll be putting the link in the show notes for you so you can get access to that event. I think it's one of the most important ones of the year. After a few years of general surgery residency in Portland, she decided to forge her career path as a trauma attachment and addiction medicine physician. She believes the healing journey can be accelerated through evidence-based tools and approaches to rewire the nervous system and the effects of chronic stress and trauma on the mind and body. Having both parented children with effects from attachment and trauma issues and then having her oath, her own health challenges from chronic stress and traumas, she is intensely invested on finding what actually works practically and how to restore the body to its highest potential for the health of the person. So she does a lot of really cool stuff, and she has certain uh, credentials and extra functional medicine training in terms of autoimmunity and genetics for addiction. So this is cool stuff. Hope you enjoy this podcast. If you need help clinically, you could please reach out to me. EvanBrand.com has all the details. And if you need trauma work, you know, I think Amy may be your gal. So, you know, stay tuned for more on her. Let's dive right in. Dr. Amy, thanks for joining me. Evan, I am so excited to be here. You know that I always love talking to you about stuff. Yeah, this is this is going to be a trippy conversation. So people, get your bootstraps tight and let's hang on because... You and I were just talking about some crazy stuff in the world of trauma, and mm -hmm. this is, I think, a very important time, and I told you this for your event, too. You're having me as a speaker on your event, which is going to be an amazing event, and I believe the, the full title of your event is called The Biology of Trauma, or, or what is that it? That is correct, yeah. Biology of Trauma Solution Series for Mental Health, Addictions, and Burnout. And this is huge, and I'm, I'm, I'm part of the issue, and uh, I'm, I'm part of the statistics. You know, I think... All of us mm -hmm. really are, and yes, you are the clinical director of, as you mentioned, multiple addiction centers across mm -hmm. California, and you told me before we hit record that in the past year, things have been epidemically growing. Do you want to just give us a maybe some numbers, or if you have any just kind of yeah. stories? Yeah, absolutely. So the situation for years had been showing a small decline every year in the amount of use of substances and specifically the more dangerous substances like heroin, fentanyl, the ones that you associate with overdoses. And 
even to the point where um, the the numbers for uh, cigarette smoking, alcohol use, they had started to come down a little bit every year. And then COVID hit, Evan. And what happened was that, uh, you know, the social changes really hit us in March. By June, we already started seeing an increase in those numbers uh, looking at the whole year. So when they look, when the CDC runs their numbers and the CDC is just the government, you know, center for disease control that watches all of these statistics, they base their numbers off of a whole year. And so looking at just the year, they, there had been such an increase between March and June of 2020 that it already showed a dramatic increase over the whole entire year compared from 2019 to 2020. And so uh, overdoses were already up 30%. It's huge, right? When you think of up 30%, um, that, that is, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's an epidemic of uh, overdoses. And most of these are unintentional overdoses. So they are not people trying to kill themselves. These are people using these substances because they have found that it provides them relief. It's a coping mechanism. We all have coping mechanisms. Um, there's is a very unhealthy coping mechanism. Um, and, and their use of that got to such a dangerous level. Um, even with the alcohol sales, alcohol sales skyrocketed, Evan skyrocketed. And in my detox centers, we're now starting to see all of these people coming in and then, yeah, the numbers, like there's not enough treatment places open to handle the volume that we're seeing. And, um, even just in terms of how things have shifted, I'm assuming that because of some of the changes along the border, where we get a lot of the heroin from Mexico, that there's been more production of synthetic opiates here in the States which has been a lot more dangerous and has contributed to the increase in overdoses. So fentanyl being one of the synthetic opiates, there's been a huge shift to fentanyl, but now there's even newer stuff than fentanyl out on the black market that has been very, very dangerous, very lethal in the sense that even just a small amount will cause such respiratory depression and cardiac depression that they just don't wake up. And it's been, uh, we've lost some really, really fine people um, this last year. Holy crap. Well, what's crazy to me is how quickly you're saying things change because you're saying like all the shutdowns and all the ridiculous mm -hmm. stuff happened in March. And then by June, you're already seeing the numbers going up. So what, mm -hmm. when I hear that, it sounds like to me that these people were already barely holding on to their grip of society. Mm -hmm. And then this just, you know, whether you call it a pandemic or a plandemic, it put them over the edge. It's, mm -hmm. it's hard yes, to believe absolutely. there's that many people there's that many people just living on the edge of sanity or insanity. We have that many people that close to the edge. Evan, it's not that hard to imagine. I mean, we've had this stuff under the surface. It's been right under the surface. And whether it's a, an addiction to alcohol or a substance or you're on the edge of burnout and overwhelm and divorce and, you know, whatever, like, no, like this, this is, this was building, this was right under the surface. And I would say most people were barely hanging on using what coping mechanisms they did have, even if that was over-exercising, overworking. And then these changes happen for those people who needed that uh, busyness, needed to go into the office, needed to be running around. And all of a sudden, all of that changes and they're stuck at home. Like they they went crazy. 
they started doing things that they have never done before. They started yelling at people they've never yelled at before, <laughs> right? They like this is this is where our mental health has has gotten and the pandemic just unveiled that. It didn't bring anything that wasn't already there. True, 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 true. Good point. Man, that just sucks to think that this is the state of the world. And I got two little girls, they're under five years old. I'm like, crap, I I look at my grandparents. And I just think about them growing up in the 50s. And I know things weren't perfect back then. But things just seem more simple. You didn't have people on the pharmaceuticals, the food was organic and local and grass fed back then. And mental illness, as far as I know, was extremely better uh in terms of numbers than it is now it's mm-hmm. like god i wish Absolutely. i had a time machine and and yet evan like i think that we can create our own time machine so i see a lot of hope and opportunity here because it's come to our awareness how bad it has become so that we can now make changes on a social level on a global level now that we have more understanding of what the nervous system needs in order to be in a good place how to build resilience so that when whatever life brings us right like and just before we were talking we talked about you know like my situation with my son and then you know earlier this year i helped a friend die and pass uh, after he had come down with covid like life brings us circumstances we don't know when they're going to come into our life we need to have the system built up already we can't do that once a pandemic has already hit. So I see a huge opportunity in this because um, providers like you um, are doing such amazing work at bringing information to people on this is how you can make your system better. This is how you can build your your cellular resilience so that your mental health isn't right on the edge of overwhelm and crash and burn when something does happen because things will always happen. Well, I'm sure like physician burnout frontline people, it's massive. And even though I'm not like working in the emergency room, I'm having a lot of people come to me that are like, Hey, I think I've got post COVID issues and Mm -hmm. doctors can't help, or they're only going to prescribe this or that. And so I'm definitely more stressed than I was because now I'm dealing with a totally new thing that we've never seen before. And I'm trying to help these people get back to their life. And the the conventional mainstream physicians have basically turned their backs and said, either this is in your head or go see a Mm -hmm. therapist or, you know, take an aspirin. And that's all they've gotten. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm trying to cope with it, but I think it's tough for me even because now I feel like I've got all this weight on my shoulders to try to be the healer to get these people back to how they felt Mm -hmm. before. So we were talking about the nervous system before and how essentially People talk about the sympathetic and parasympathetic or the fight or flight, but then you also mentioned the freeze response and you're like, Evan, you're stuck. You're in the freeze response. So what the heck do I do? What do other people do? How do they know that they're in the freeze response? And then how do we pull out of this? Yeah, great question and a huge topic. And I would say that most people live in a state of functional freeze. So it's important for them to start to be able to see what that looks like so they can recognize it in themselves and recognize it in others because it really then changes everything that you do. What the functional freeze state is, is it's one of the survival states. You mentioned the other one. So the other survival state is the fight or flight, which is a very high energy state. It's a very 
um, I call it like activated, right? Like you get activated, you rise to the occasion. A mom will push a car off of her child. You will run, you know, the heck out when a dog is chasing you. Um, you know, those are very high energy survival responses. But Evan, <laughs> when the biology gets overwhelmed, so even just taking it down to looking at one individual nerve cell that's in this survival response, looking at one cell, when it starts to near the end of its energy, it starts to give the message of, hey, you, hey, you guys, I think we got a problem, right? We've got a problem because we're running out of energy. We need to create a different plan for our survival here. And so what happens is that the body actually shifts into a low energy, energy conservation state in order to survive. What that looks like is the body going into this heaviness, the exhaustion, a sense of overwhelm. It can feel like you're giving up, right? Because you're no longer running from that dog. <laughs> You're no longer hustling. You're no longer able to um, do all of the high energy things that you did before. Now you're in this, uh, excuse my language, but like, I don't give a fuck. Whatever. I don't have the energy to care anymore. So someone hits my car. Okay. You know, like I'm irritable. I'm I'm pissed off because they've created more work for me to do today that I didn't have the energy for. And, you know, like this is, this is just kind of how my life, I can expect my life and my day to be right now. So even our thoughts, our emotions go into that energy conservation state where we don't have the energy to do anything or to care. Somebody doesn't like me. I don't care. I don't have the energy to care. So our nervous system on a, uh, the subconscious survival system actually starts to decide how we're going to use our energy and what we have energy for and what we do not have energy for. And when we've allotted only so much energy for this and then something else happens, right? Like our kids bike breaks or they, you know, they won't stop crying that day or, some other thing happens, the coffee spills, it's, and it's just like, boom, there you go, because you were already right on that edge of overwhelm, and that's overwhelm is the chronic freeze response. So that's how a person would recognize that they're in the freeze response. And I don't know if I explained that well enough, so I'll kind of turn that back to you and hear your thoughts. You did, and my thoughts are, wow, it sounds like all of society is stuck in the freeze response. <laughs> And yes. I, I recognize people from my past that I used to think that was just their personality, mm. the way they would act, short-tempered, short-fused. But really now looking back, and when I think of these people, I've got a few in my head now. I think of their childhood. I think of their history with trauma. And yes. I think, wow, these poor people, they were just stuck in the freeze response. Maybe this wasn't exactly. their personality at all because at all. some of these people I have in mind – I've seen the good sides of them yeah. if they're at the lake or we're at a campfire yes. or, yes. And, and, and I get goosebumps thinking about it because I can see the other side of this person. And, you know, people will often say in marriage, like, I know that person I married is still inside of you, but it's covered up and it's hidden by this freeze response. Yes. And so what happens, Evan, is that you go into this low energy state 
energy conservation. And we can go more into all of the biology that can influence when that trigger point is for the nervous system to say, hey, we may not have enough energy here. We need to go into that low energy state. But then for you and me, for many other people, many other people, we have responsibilities. We have to get stuff done. We can't lay in bed all day, right? We can't just sit on the couch all day. We can't go out by the lake every day. We have responsibilities. Let me pause you there, though. Okay. But is the thing that we need to be doing to pull us out of the freeze response canceling everything and going to the lake? Is no. that the strategy you should be doing? Okay. No. All right. No. Good. Because that's, no. that's what I think. I think, well, screw it. I'm just going to go like <laughs> live at the beach in a tent for a month because I had a client in Greece and she was very chemically sensitive and she was chronically exhausted and she was reacting to every food and every chemical and we suspected a mast cell problem because she had mold exposure and all of that. And I said, okay, well, you need a reset. I don't know what that is. Let's do your lab testing and we'll, we'll reconvene. Well, she took it upon herself to go to a campground in Greece or somewhere. She went, I don't know how far, but to the ocean. And basically her husband resupplied her and her daughter who were camping at this beach campground. They stayed there for like three to four weeks. And their husband just resupplied her every few days with fresh food. But it literally like reversed all of her complaints. Mm -hmm. Yep. But you're saying, no, that's not the answer to just run to the beach. (laughs) <laughs> why uh, come on uh, we'll 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 get there evan okay. we'll get right. there we'll All get right. there what happens is that when we have responsibilities we feel like we have to pull ourselves out of that low energy state and i don't care into no i do care i do need to get this done i have this deadline and so we start finding ourselves moving towards anything that will give us adrenaline to temporarily give us some energy. So we may be reaching for coffee. We may be reaching for other stimulants. We may be reaching for uh, the smart drugs. We may be reaching for exercise. We may be reaching for other things that will give us that adrenaline. We may even, here's one for you. We may even uh, create a fight with our spouse in order to give ourselves that adrenaline to pull out of that freeze response long enough to meet our deadline see our client, whatever it is that we have to do. But then when you notice what happens afterwards, you feel that collapse and you go back into that low energy state. So many people might recognize a chronic free state as when they are relaxing, they're doing self-care. And yet what that actually looks like for them is that they're zoning out. They're, they're checking out. They're mentally not really present. They're not um, emotionally and mentally present where they are physically. And that is not true self-care. That is not true recovery and rest. You've gone into the free state, which is, is what your body needs to do in order to help it survive. But let's just call it what it is and not think that that, you know, you sitting on the couch and eating desserts and brownies and the ice cream and grabbing that one, or other alcohol, you know, and that's, and that's taking care of yourself, right? Like that's your recovery. No, that's the free state. Well, how and about social the media? benefits of the free state. How about the drug of social oh my media goodness, too? Yes, that's because a huge one. like I wasn't into yes. alcohol, but when I had Instagram on my phone, yes. I mean, I, I mean, that was a time sucker for me. I literally had to get it off my phone. Yes. So is that part of the freeze response yep. too? Yes. That the, it's like a form of escapism, yes. right? It's like, instead of me exactly. going to the it's, movie theater, yes. Like when I was a kid, maybe I'd go to the movie theater like twice a year to see a cool new movie that came out. 
But now we have these little mini movies of other people's lives that we can look at every day, all day. To me, it's just, it, I guess you would call it escapism, but I feel like escapism must be some form of coping or attempted yes. coping. And that is a perfect way to describe the freeze response, Evan. Escape. Whatever, wh- whatever it is. Whatever it is. Because when we escape, then we don't feel that, uh, that overwhelm. You know, it does numb the intensity of that overwhelm. And that's what the body feels like it needs to do in order to um, survive whatever it is that we're going through. Let me ask you this. The problem, yeah. Well, I don't want you to lose it. You've got you've got so much good things to say that I almost like just need to shut up for an hour and just like close my eyes and listen to you talk because what you're saying is amazing. But I have to just clarify a couple things. So Please. Um, I went out to a restaurant Last week, I went to get some amazing chicken wings. They were delicious. They were not fried in gluten for those listening. They were grilled wings. They were amazing. And I looked around, and my wife and I are like strictly anti-phone around the kids and at the table. We're eating at an outside patio. There were probably five children under age 15. There were the parents. There were other like 20, 30-ish college age kids that were all drinking alcohol in the bar or the outside bar. And then there were like some older guys. Every single one of these people had their phone in their hand the entire time. Is this all just because of the freeze response or are we seeing like a, a culmination of factors? This stuff is just highly addicting or is it that everyone is just their nervous systems are freaking fried and that's why everybody's doing that? I mean, it's yes to all of those, Evan. So actually I, I'm writing an article on this very topic right now where the basis, the true root cause of every addiction whether it be to alcohol or whether it be to social media or whether it be to sex and gambling, the true root cause of every single addiction is the freeze response. Wow. And I, and you were going to say something and then I interrupted you with that point, but you were saying the problem is, do you remember what that was? Yeah. The problem is, is that now we have, I mean, now all of us, right, are not really, phys- are not really emotionally present for much of what goes on in our life. And it's not necessarily all entirely our fault because we're not taught these things. We're not, we're not taught how to be able to handle life and stress and these emotions and a pandemic, right, in a way that is helpful to our body and helps it process it. And so these things end up becoming traumas and just further creates that disconnect that we have and where we are so uncomfortable with uncomfortable feelings, and looking for that escape. And it makes me think of the time when, um, when I had to make that decision that I was no longer the best mom for my son. And that was a process that if I had not been able to be emotionally present for that process with him, I would have caused him so much damage because he would have felt me pull myself back to protect myself, protect my heart. And he would have been left there. He was almost 10 at the time, a few months short of 10. He would have been left there now all of a sudden with his own horrible emotions, feeling abandoned, feeling unloved, feeling confused. And without my emotional presence no longer there to support him, he would have gone right back into his old patterns of, um, his insecure attachments and traumas, everything that he had worked for six long years to unravel, rewire 
and to shift. And so this is the beauty of the work. And this is why I really feel like this is an opportunity and a hope is for this to just become more aware for people. And that there is this way to, no matter how old you are, to start to rewire your system to be able to come out of that freeze, to to open up, to thaw those parts of you that are frozen, that are hidden, that that are scared to death, that felt like going into freeze and numbing and distracting were the only way to get through, being able to work with those parts and rewire that. I also think of, you know, the the recent time in January, I brought a dear friend home from the nursing home who had gotten COVID while he was there in the nursing home. And um, he was he was going to die there. And I did not want that to be how he left this world alone without family, you know, no one, no one there loving him and holding his hand. And so I brought him into my home and, and that's what we did. Like we spent two wonderful weeks together before he did finally pass. And again, I'm sitting there by his bedside, Evan, and he is actively passing at this moment. And it was the the last time that he actually reached for my hand this time. And so I knew, I knew that he was going and to be able to sit there, uh, obviously feeling a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. I don't, I don't want him to pass. I don't want him to die. And yet also to be able to appreciate being able to sit right there with him in that process, emotionally accompany him across to the other side, whatever the other side is, and not have to pull back, not have to hold myself back, being able to, um, stay in that moment, fully emotionally present for him to be able to have my support and presence. Like what, a, what a gift to me that then I could extend that to him, but how different my life has been, uh, with this type of work and, and coming out of the, the freeze response where, before, what I, what I would have done would have been to, oh, I, I need to stand up. Oh, I, I've got dishes to go do. Oh, I need to go clean something. Um, I need to go use the restroom. Like anything, right? Like anything to just pull myself out of that uncomfortable feeling of, I'm, I I don't want you to die, right? Wow. I'm not, not ready for that. That's but intense. it's happening. Well, I feel like we're not as, and I'm sorry for your loss. I, I feel like we're we're not as good at handling death as we used to be, and I don't know if that's because society's right. more stressful or what. But I mean, I just look at the way that my grandparents speak about some of their friends, and they they just seem to to handle the the thought of it and the idea yep. of it better coming from the yep. 1940s generation. Yes. Um, yep. Now, I mean, I don't want to say I can't comprehend death because I can. I've definitely been around it but and, and you know certainly for me hunting too like if i shoot an animal like if i shoot a deer and i watch it die and then i cut it open and take its meat out and rip out its organs i mean that's pretty intense stuff so i think for me that that helps me to stay grounded i'm sure we could spend an hour on this but i want to focus more on the action steps but i just wanted to comment and say that as a society it's i think it's harder for people to to be emotionally present like that and we don't yes. want to feel we don't want to feel. And is that because our buckets are already so full that we can't, we don't have the space to feel? We don't have the energy to feel, Evan, mm. right? Like we, we don't have the energy. Like we are in the freeze response. We are conserving energy. Mm. Okay. So how do we pull out of it? Cause see, like 
you think of, and is this the reason why you're seeing this whole hashtag van life thing go up? Like, I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to buy a van and just like live in the woods. Is that is that part of the freeze response? People are trying to cope or is that just its own little trend? What do you think? It can be. And that's, and that's where it is so unique to each individual for what their motivating reason is. Are they doing that to escape? Well, well then that, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're still just dealing with, I don't, I don't want to take the energy to deal with the rest of the world. So I'm going to just go off and be by myself and do my own happy thing. Or is it, this is what I've always wanted to do. I'm, I'm actually going to move into that. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to be fully present in the moment. And so here we go. It can True. look like the same result, but your motivation is really what determines what state your nervous system is in. Is it in the freeze response and escaping, or is it in the parasympathetic where you are fully connected and you're creative and you're curious and you want those life experiences because you are fully present for those. Wow. See, I, I guess I'm just more of a pessimist because I look at the, I try to psychoanalyze, I guess that's the proper term. I try to psychoanalyze trends and I'm like, why in the past two, three years? And there was even like many articles about this when, when COVID first hit that all the RV companies were like completely out of stock, like campers, yeah. camper vans, you yep. couldn't find them. Campgrounds were booked and all that, or if they were even open, but I just kind of looked at it and I thought, Hmm. And like, maybe that's just like pessimistic nature thinking, oh, well, that's because everybody wants to escape. But, but you make a good point too. It could be the opposite. It could be that people could realize, be. oh my God, life is short. I better enjoy this thing because there's no guarantee I'm even going to get to retirement to quote retire. Let me just enjoy doing many retirements as Tim Ferriss called it in his book years ago. He said like, screw waiting till 60, enjoy l little mini vacations along the way. So I guess, like you said, it could be just the perception. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get into it. So so if you don't just run away and, and go to the lake in, in your camper van, what do you do? How do you pull yourself out of the freeze response? I, I want to make one comment to, to probe that uh, question is you talked about adaptogens with me and you were like, hey, adaptogens are good, but that's like if you're in fight or flight. If you're in sympathetic, you know, adaptogens are, are helpful there. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? And you didn't answer because we had to hit record first. So now that we're here, please. <laughs> yes. So this is really important for people to understand that where they are in this stress, trauma, overwhelm spectrum really determines what uh, interventions are the best ones going that are going to move the dial the most for them. So if you are stressed, your you know your cortisol is high. This is not just an acute stress. This is like. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stressed at work. I'm stressed, uh, at home perhaps, but I'm, that really is it. Like I am just stressed. You're in the high sympathetic state, right? So you've, you've got that high energy where you're going, 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 and you do like you need those adaptogens in order to support your adrenal glands, support your hormone production so that you're not depleting those and you're able to maintain that state. However, when you reach the point of overwhelm and that energy conservation, that's really where, and you're probably going to love this, Evan, because I'm going to kind of put this right back in your lap. We have to do all the work that you talk about with your clients. Like we have to look at all of the biology pieces that are part of the puzzle that are overwhelming your system. Because just as much as there can be external stressors that overwhelm us, 
just as much our biology overwhelms us if there's inflammation, if there's toxins, if we've had any prior infections. These all thing are all things that compromise our efficiency, just biologically, the numbers, the data. And, and so those are things that will push us closer to that edge of overwhelm. That makes sense. And, when I was in Texas, I had yeah. parasite infections. I was anxious 24 mm-hmm. seven. And when I cleared yes. out my gut infections, my anxiety like disappeared overnight after treating those. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So this is where our biology uh, really sets the tone for our resilience and, and how much stress we have the capacity to handle and not go over that line of overwhelm into the freeze response. So there's so much that we can do to increase our capacity for stress. And once you're in the overwhelm, then we really need to look at what are all these biological factors. And it's never just one, right, Evan? It's never just one. They all, they all come in groups. They come in buddies. They, you know, they're a club. Because if it were just one, our body likely would have already dealt with it. It would have had the ability to, to efficiently deal with it. It's when it's this and it's this and it's this and it's this. And that's where our body actually is just like, dude, I, I can't. Like I'm, I'm attacked by all sides. I can't deal with this anymore and we're, we're going to lose it. And then you lose it, right, with just one, one more thing that goes wrong. So addressing the biology is key. Then the other piece, Evan, would be actually rewiring your natural survival response, which has become overwhelm. And so what happens is that the more time that the, the more times that your body, your nervous system goes into overwhelm and freeze, it just becomes like a paved highway that it doesn't take much to for it to be like, oh yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to go into overwhelm and I'm going to even sooner reach that point to be like, ah, I'm done. I don't care. Do whatever you want type of thing. Well, you make an interesting point though. I'm just picturing how, like you mentioned, people will like create a fight for no reason. So when you're in the freeze response and the overwhelm, it sounds like you have to stress yourself out enough about your daily task or chores or assignments. You got to get pissed off enough to get it done. Yes. Yes. Or mm-hmm. if you're the people that, quote, have to work under pressure, you're saying those are probably the freeze response people that have to wait till the night before their exam to study exactly. or do the paper or whatever. Yes. That's oh. exactly what I'm saying. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what about like nervines? I mean, like passion flower and valerian and motherwort and like chewable fermentable GABA. I sell quite a bit of that. I'll do holy basil, which technically is an adaptogen, but it does calm my system down. I mean, where, where does that come in? What about like homeopathy? What about cannabis? A lot of people say the Mm -hmm. cannabis chills them out. Is that good, Mm -hmm. bad, different? What what do you think? So with a lot of the stuff like the valerian, the GABA, the basil, like those are all things that are really helpful for the stress. So if you're needing to bring down your stress level, because that will help with uh, kind of bringing you back from overwhelm, that's the perfect time to be using those. Once you're in the overwhelm, that's something different. And so that is where sometimes I see people misusing marijuana in order to actually put themselves kind of in that free state and everything's cool and chill and I'm, I'm, I'm using it to escape 
I'm using it to numb. I'm using it to escape my stress, escape my responsibilities, escape my uncomfortable feelings. So that would be a way in which people misuse that, right? Just like a person can misuse pain pills. And if they start using it, not just for pain, (laughs) right? Or I should say not just for physical pain, but for emotional pain. Ah, that's when we're working with the freeze response again, right? I'll never forget the day when, when, uh, it was after my fourth break of my collarbone, Evan, I have broken this bone four times. And the last time that I broke it, I was on a bike ride and we were in a pack and we were headed fast and someone went down in front and there was no time to react. I'm in the middle of the pack. I can't move either side. And I went down hard. I actually ended up getting a concussion as well. And when I came out of my concussion, the first thing that I felt was that familiar feeling now of I've broken my bone, right? I didn't go to the hospital because I know what it is and I know how to get through it. And I still have some pain pills from the last time that I broke it. So I, so I go home and I take a, a pain pill, but then about four days later, I'm coming home from work and I feel that I feel a craving. I feel an urge to take a pill just to relax and take the edge off of things. And I was like, what? Like, this isn't supposed to happen to me, right? Like I'm the doctor who runs detox units. I'm not supposed to ever have a craving to numb emotional pain. And yet this is our body, right? Like this can be a natural thing, but the point at which that changes and we're no longer using it for physical pain, then we know that we're working with the freeze response. So once, once we know we have the freeze response, we have to know how to shift it and start to retrain our nervous system. Just like we, we train a muscle, we retrain our nervous system to be and stay present rather than slipping into that familiar numbing out, checking out, zoning out, going into my brain. Let me just think about things. Let me not feel my body. Let me not actually be fully present. Uh, we ha- we have to retrain it. But again, it can only be retrained when we are also doing the biology alongside of it. Because if we're neglecting the toxins, the mitochondrial inefficiencies, our nervous system is going to be stuck. And it's going to say, hey, that's all fine and good. Do all the therapy and somatic experiencing and stuff that you want. But I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the energy to change my pathways. So we're going to stay stuck here. So I always do those two things together. I always do both the somatic rewiring of the nervous system and working with a system to bring it out of the freeze and learn how to be more present more of the time and then more and more and more of the time until it's all the time. And I'm also working with people on their biology. And so when you're in the freeze response, you really want to hit the mitochondria hard, Evan. So this is where I'm bringing things like all of the ubiquinol, the CoQ10, the PQQ, the selenium. NAD is a big one for the mitochondria. I'm hitting the mitochondria as my focus because that's how I can improve the energy production. And if I can give more energy into the system it will start to, again, it'll start to have the energy to do this work and to heal itself. So sometimes there are toxins and sometimes there are these other things that are directly impacting the mitochondria. We've got to deal with those, but that is my focus is what all is affecting the mitochondria because that's where I need to focus first when I'm working with someone in the freeze response. Inflammation is a big piece 
right? If there's inflammation around a cell, especially a nerve cell, it's going to be stuck. It's going to be using up all of its energy to try to just clear out the inflammation and the oxidative stress. So uh, addressing gut inflammation, brain inflammation for those of us who've had concussions in the past, and we have those primed microglia. Brain inflammation, I mean, that's where our nervous system is at. So that's that's really important inflammation to address as someone um, who has this tendency to go into the freeze response. So I know I know that was a lot. I just threw a lot at you. So I'll I'll stop and let let that process and see uh, if you have any questions or want me to go deeper on on a certain aspect. Sure. Well, it makes me feel better about what I'm doing. It makes me feel like what I'm doing is, is helping people because I'm doing all the mitochondrial support. We're looking at exactly. the oat test. We're hitting the yep. PQQ, the rhodiola, the ribose, the taurine, maybe the creatine. We're hitting the amino acids, maybe tyrosine mm-hmm. or D-L-phenylalanine, maybe 5-HTP. So I feel like I'm working on all the right steps, but I still feel that there's the the deeper piece. So let me just clarify on cannabis because it's something for me. I want you to just be like, Evan, yeah, it's good because for me, it helped me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I had chronic anxiety, depression issues, it would take me like one or two puffs. And I was just like, I don't want to say that I was numb. I wasn't numb, but I was able to actually be in touch with my emotions more. Like there was a, there was a quote from Bob Marley and he said something like the herb reveals you to yourself. And Mm -hmm. I felt like when I would look in the mirror, if I had a little bit of buzz on cannabis, I would look in the mirror at myself and I could kind of look into my spirit or look into my soul and I could kind of talk with myself better. And I was Mm -hmm. connected to my emotions more. I wasn't repressing them. I had to face them. And it's like, you know, sometimes, I I mean, you know, when I was in college, I would look at myself, I was working third shift and I would look at myself and I would go, dude, you're exhausted. Look at you. Yeah. Who are you? you? (laughs) Yeah. What do you, what do you, what are you going to do? Like, how, how are you going to get out of this? So I still feel it has a beneficial role, but I know maybe with your uh, work in the addiction centers, you may say, hey, no, it's just a slippery slope like every other drug like alcohol, but I I just don't think they're apples to apples. I would agree. It is not apples to apples with alcohol, and it it kind of falls under the same category as ketamine for me. So for some people, if used in the right way, it's an amazing tool, an amazing tool. For some people it becomes just a way to escape. So kind of, you know, kind of similar to, you know, going and, and moving into an RV and traveling around, like what does it do for you? That's really going to be the determining factor. Does it help you actually become more connected? Does it actually help you do some of this rewiring work or is it just escaping? And then when you come out of that escape now you've got to face all, you know, all of the responsibilities and, and your true self, right? So does it help you move to your true self or does it take you out of that, that you've got to come back? That's exactly, that's exactly what I wanted to hear because for me, I'm, I'm the good type because I will get creative. I will write stuff. It'll help me figure out a problem. I'll be able to solve this and, oh, I never thought of it like that. And, and then there's other people that I've had in my life where they're not quote normal until they have it. So they have to go smoke or vaporize or do a bong or a joint or whatever to even be quote normal and functional. For me, it was just an enhancement of everyday life. For them, that was their life. They could get numbed out from it. And then when they get back to sober, now they're depressed and my back hurts and I just want to sleep and whatever. And then if they get high from it, oh, now I'm ready to participate in life. For me, I'm participating in life all the time. I would just get enhanced. So that's, that's an important distinction. All right, let's talk about ketamine. And and I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I just wanted to point that out that 
luckily I'm, I'm the good type, but I do see how it, it could be bad for people. For some people, and you know, that may be based on their genetics or maybe based on their other tendencies or how, how deep they are in the freeze response. Like there's so many different factors that go into, uh, you know, the tools that are actually helpful for you and the tools that are not helpful for each person. Okay. How, how uh, in terms of priority, and I know there's a million things just like functional medicine, there's a million tools in the toolbox here, but in terms of like the bangers, the good stuff, you know, like you hit on the adaptogens. I mean, those are in my top five for sure. Where do you rank ketamine and then get us up to speed on the different ways to use this? Is this a top five tool? Is this a top three tool? Is it the number one tool? Uh, no. So, and there's dangers to using it before a body is ready for it because ketamine will push the nervous system to a higher level of functioning. And if it doesn't have all of the nutrients to operate at that higher level, you've just set yourself up for a crash afterwards. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like the relationship between functional medicine and biohacking, right? Like you can't just jump to biohacking. Your system's not ready for that. You've got to do all the foundational functional medicine stuff first, and then you can take it to the next level. So that's how I use ketamine is let's address all of this stuff first. Sometimes while we're doing it, we can throw in ketamine. Sometimes while we're doing it, we can even use NAD, but we've got to, we've got to be addressing the foundational stuff to make sure that the cells have the nutrients that they need for us to push that, to rev the engine and actually get some productive output rather than just running the tires and putting skid marks further deeper into the ground. So with the ketamine, this is something that, you know, of all the, you know, 100% of people that I've worked with, I have used it in the top 10%. What does that mean? Meaning only 10% of the people that I have worked with have I said, let's move to ketamine and we're going to use it in this specific way. Not to say that the other people won't ever get there. They're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and, and, and I really appreciate how much attention to detail you're putting into your clinical experience because, you know, the ketamine clinic down the street, they don't give a damn if you're eating nope. McDonald's drive through They'll come, come in, come get your ketamine infusion, and then they'll send you home, and they don't really know or care necessarily why it didn't have a good long-term effect. Yep. And the same thing with the NAD, right? So, yeah, I mean, you could literally bring anybody off the street and give them NAD, but if you have someone who's had Lyme, if you have someone who's had autoimmune mold, and you give them the regular dose of NAD, you have caused them to probably have a crash, Herxheimer reaction, like things can get worse when we use these tools with, without the proper context and foundation to support, uh, those tools. And just to clarify, so, and, and just to clarify, and you're saying yeah. that's because you're upregulating the system, but the system is glutathione deficient and depleted of vitamin C and B vitamins and the mitochondria are damaged. And now you've upregulated yes. the system. So you've pushed the nitric oxide, uh, or the nitrous is rather what it's called on cars, like in fast and the furious movies, the race movies, they hit the nitrous button and the car, boom, you immediately get 50 more horsepower. So you're saying yep. the ketamine or the NAD could act as that horsepower boost, Yes. but they didn't change the freaking spark plug first. Right. So you've got three cylinders, you, like you yep. got three cylinders somewhat working and the other cylinders are messed up on the car, but you're going to boost them anyway. Yeah. You're going to blow them out. Okay. <laughs> right. Trying to put that much force into them without, 
without the proper uh, container to hold that. Okay, mm-hmm. understood. Yeah. So this is where kind of we come back to the different ways in which to use ketamine. And there there is the IV doses, which I have found most helpful for the chronic uh, depression that's unresponsive to several different types of medications or just won't won't go away. Uh, the chronic pain, those are the types of things that the IV seems to be particularly helpful for. For everyone else, especially those in the chronic freeze, I really, really am liking the sublingual microdosing of ketamine. And depending on who you are, I have one one patient who, um, I mean, I would, he would probably say he has absolutely no mental health issues. He's, he's very, very good, very healthy, top of his game, biohacking person. And he uses the sublingual ketamine once a week for his most creative times where he gets into his zone and, and he, you know, really takes his best self to the next level. For other people, uh, I've used it for detoxing off of pain pills. I've used it for mood and some bipolar stuff where they're just going into that, you know, really heavy depression every evening and they want to just help themselves get out of that. And so they're using it in a microdose sublingual uh, every day. And it has really, really helped to be able to then do the work to rewire that so that they don't have to stay on that. That's just a tool that they can use temporarily to do the work that they need to with their nervous system. Wow. So you're saying this could help people get out of the hole enough to even see that they're in a hole? Exactly. Because I feel like people sometimes don't even recognize they're in the freeze response. That is most people right now. They don't know they're this, there. This, they're is, just, they're... this has become our normal, wow. right? Like yeah. we've, we've adjusted to it. We've adjusted to just kind of feeling flat. Uh, you know, feeling like we're living in the void, you know, we're, we're existing, we're not experiencing true joy, we're not, you know, living our true meaning and purpose, uh, you know, but we're here. <laughs> and, and this is a, and this is a global thing. I mean, I, a global thing. I, I'm, I'm pretty empathic. I would assume you're probably somewhat of an empath too, based on your career. And I just kind of feel the energy in the world. I, I kind of go out and I, mean, I could just feel the energy of the world sitting here, but I feel it, you know, out in public, I'll go to certain places, whether it's a grocery, Whole Foods or a mm-hmm. farmer's market or whatever. And people, I hate to say this, they feel broken. Like I've yes. never felt ever in my life. Yes. There's a very heavy, broken energy. That's like a freaking green blob yes. floating through yes. the air. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, how do we and- break this? Because if I'm happy and I get in that blob, I feel like that blob is then going to affect me even if I'm happy. So it's hard to be happy in isolation if the collective is like that. So, and I, and I don't want to get political here, Evan, the danger of the freeze response in that blob is that we don't have the energy to resist uh, we don't have the energy to think for ourselves. We don't have the energy to stand up for what we believe is truth and what is for our best. So uh, societies that have been uh, kind of pushed into the freeze response because of whatever stuff that's gone on, you can look at this in history, right? They are the ones that then tend to just go along with things even though at the very end of it, they're going to look back and think like, how could I have gone along with that? Oh my God. Because you didn't have the energy. 
Well, is, I mean, is that, is that why people were able to push back and protest in the 60s and 70s and now there's yes. no protest? Right. When Oregon, I just saw something, I saw some reports of Oregon, which I used to think was like, cool place. I'm like, oh, Oregon, you know, you hear like grass-fed burgers on every corner and stuff and, and you know, legal weed. I'm like, oh, it's a cool place. But I'm hearing like businesses are requiring to show proof of vaccination to enter the business. It's like, screw you. You mind your own freaking business. That's none of your business. Since when in America was that ever anybody's information or your right to know? Like, and I have to go do this for you? Are you eating vegetables for me? Because I don't want to be around a person who's not eating grass-fed meat. I don't want to be around a vegan. Like, are we going to go to that level? So um, I'm pissed and I'm frustrated because I don't, I don't feel like other people are pissed enough or maybe they're just too tired to be pissed. Too tired. Gosh. Too, too tired, too overwhelmed. We're we're going into a energy conservation state as a society. So when, when so when we're like talking about the sheep and the wolves and look at all these sheep wearing their double mask and all that, uh, you know, you're saying that they're, they're too tired to to do anything else. They just have to sit back and listen to to CNN and do what they're told. Yeah, I mean, that's what their brain, their body is going to be telling them that they need to do in order to survive. So literally, so I mean, I'm going to take this a little step deeper here, and I don't want to get too off in the woods. I could do two hours with you just on this key point here. But we know with some of the leaks that have come out about the media, like CNN in particular has been shown that they kept the death toll ticker on the screen because it increases fear and that increased fear increases television ratings, more ratings equals more pharmaceutical ads, more pharmaceutical ads equals more revenue. So, I mean, there's literally people profiting off putting people into the freeze response. You got it. <sighs> Bastards. And and that's why I don't have a TV. I do not watch the news because it puts me into the freeze response. But do you check news though? Do you do news on Facebook and your phone and you check news websites? Because I say I don't have a TV too, but then I'm guilty of going on like a news website on my phone. What I, what I do, Evan, is I get the highlights emailed to me so that I get, um, I, I know what's going on in the world and I'm not ignorant but I'm also not, I can regulate when I choose to look at that email and, and I can more easily push the news away to stay present if it feels like it's going to, it's going to be too much. Because again, the way that especially TV portrays anything is by creating fear, fear, insecurity, and, and that's how they keep you coming back. So, um, when you get stimulated by it, fear is very stimulatory too. Like you almost, oh, what do I have to be afraid of now? And it like keeps you right. like fatigued, yes. but energized. Yep. Man. Yeah. Okay. So how mm -hmm. else do we get out of the freeze response? Humming, singing, so, uh, sex. I mean, not to addiction level. I mean, music. I mean, what do we do? Yeah. So this is where, um, it might be counterintuitive for most people because when you feel like you're in the freeze response, it is, it is uncomfortable. It's not a comfortable place to be. And what I did for most of my life until I knew better was that I would do things to, uh, to not feel it. So I would go and I would exercise. Um, but it's not just exercise. Like I'm running up the mountain. I'm biking, you know, 40, 60 miles, not just going on a bike ride. And, and it's, the problem is, is that when you're pushing yourself that much in order to try to not 
be in the freeze or not feel that freeze, then you just are bringing your biology closer to that line of overwhelm. And we understand now that so much of PTSD, even cancers are very much epigenetic. And so the more that you are pushing your body when it really needs that energy conservation, you're getting yourself closer to creating an epigenetic condition in your life because your body just can't clear out all the oxidative stress. So uh, one of the most important things is going to be actually leaning into that heaviness, leaning into the exhaustion, letting yourself fully feel it, and then being able to slow down your pace of life for that time being until you can work with your system and be able to consistently come out of the freeze. It's not something that you're going to be able to do overnight. Uh, you didn't get here overnight. <laughs> you're not going to be able to get out of this overnight, but rather than distracting yourself and trying to not feel it, it's actually leaning more into it, letting yourself feel it fully and letting that then be the guide for really determining how much energy do you have right now and not overextending yourself. Knowing that it won't always be this way, but if you're not listening to that aspect of your body, you're going to just be digging a deeper hole for yourself. So simple action step that comes to mind for me, I have no interest in riding 40 miles, but I love my bike and I'll yeah. go down. I don't even track the mileage, but I'll hook the, the carrier up. I've got two little girls, so I'll yeah. hook them up to the kid carrier yeah. and we'll rip it down the road and we'll do like maybe 20, 25 minutes. So I don't know, a few miles or so. And to me, that's a dose that feels good and energizing, yeah. and it totally pulls me out of a day even if it was a stressful day, but it doesn't shut me down. Good. So you're saying yeah. stuff like that, like swimming, yes. but not swimming like a thousand meters, like just playing mm -hmm. in the pool. You're saying uh, ride the bike, but don't do the Tour de France. You're saying yeah. go for the hike, but not the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. Right. Schedule a meeting or two with clients, but leave lots of gaps in your day for if you need to take a nap, for you to be able to pull yourself back together in between appointments and have that time of, okay, like, let me, let me process everything. Let me get ready for the next one and not feeling rushed, not feeling like you're pushing your body more than what, um, it's able to do right now in the freeze response. Okay. What about the other pieces? Like I was asking like about sex. I mean, you got oxytocin. What about even just cuddling? What about uh, massage? I mean, even if it's not sexual massage, if it's just you're hiring a masseuse, you know, and like that physical touch trying to get that back. Yeah. You mentioned to me, can we talk about the dance for a second? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that as soon as the uh, pandemic hit, you're like, yep. I don't want to be isolated. And you started doing dance lessons. Yep. So uh, this is kind of like the, the benefit of me getting to, you know, ha have learned all of this stuff, obviously, you know, from personal experiences, because that's how you and I learn, learn things. We have to go through things first to learn them. <laughs> right. But, but I, I know I am very clear on what my nervous system needs in order to stay grounded and present and in a good place. I know my thresholds very well because I spent most of my life in and out of the freeze response. How many years so, were you in the freeze response looking back? Um, yeah, so I had my health crash uh, when um, that would have been in 2014. 
um, where, where my body just literally gave up and went full blown into the freeze response fatigue, could not get out of bed. And so I didn't start my training, um, of the trauma therapy until 2016. So 2017 was really where I then had my biggest shifts of finally integrating enough of the functional medicine and biology side of things and addressing all the inflammation and even autoimmune stuff that I had going on that I didn't know about and rewiring my nervous system. So it's been, it's been a process, but yeah, like the four years now of actually being present in my life. What a, what a concept, Evan. (laughs) Wow. And, and have you done ketamine and was it helpful? I have actually personally not done ketamine. Wow. Do you feel like you don't need it? Are you just good enough? You don't need it or? No, I feel like it could be a useful tool. Um, I am very mindful about prescribing things for myself that, that might put me, uh, just raise some questions. And I have not had another provider that I work with. I've, I've, I've worked at my clinics, um, independently. So I haven't had that other provider that I could, that I could get those prescriptions for. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. That's surprising. I know, right? Like for all the people that I use it for, and and that is that is one thing that I have not done myself. Usually with everything, I'm like, I'm not going to try it on you until I've tried it on myself. But that is one thing where where I felt um, felt it was beneficial enough that I wanted to try it on some people and have been very very happy with with their results. So okay, cool. Yeah, and, and I know it's yeah. all the all the pieces. So it's annoying when people yep. ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway what's the biggest thing? What's, you know, what's the big, like, not necessarily the smoking gun of your trauma, but maybe like one of the biggest tools were like, wow, that really got me over the hump. Was there any particular release or conversation with somebody or trauma work or EFT or a psychedelic? I mean, anything, was there any like, whoa, that was like a sledgehammer to put me back to who I was or want to be? It's been, it's been a lot of pieces. So if I had to say one, which is the biggest, I would say it's the, the trauma therapy, but specifically the somatic experiencing and parts work therapy. And those are actually two different, different things. So I'm still cheating (laughs) by not, not only singling out just one thing. Uh, but in my practice now, I, have combined those two because of how powerful they were for me. The somatic experiencing, uh, founded mostly by Dr. Peter Levine. And he started working with veterans with severe PTSD and created this model by which the body can actually complete the survival cycles for different events or situations in life that did not get completed at that time. And they are still stuck sort of in that freeze response. And that has been huge and understanding and being able to work with my own attachment trauma and attachment insecurities from early childhood. Uh, I think that most people would be surprised at how much that affects their nervous system and also really creates the threshold for them going into the overwhelm. The last statistics that I saw was that 80% of our society has an insecure attachment. That was about a decade ago, though, Evan. And just like you're saying that people are not able to handle death, they're not able to handle things as well, that's actually because of the attachment. And I didn't want to interrupt you, so I didn't say it at the time. But that's because there's been a huge increase in the percentage of insecure attachment styles in our society. What does that even mean? 
yeah, so great question. I, attachment style is your relationship style with your primary caregiver and really your mother by age 12 months of life. And that sets the entire temperature for your nervous system. The first 12 months? The first 12 months of life by year one age. And you're, you're like programmed depending on how the relationship went yes. with them, with your mom. Yes. Yes. Whether she cuddled yes. you, kissed yes. on you, held you, breastfed you, chest to chest, not, skin to skin. Not only, yeah. Not only that, but was she emotionally present while she was doing those things? What, what if she wasn't, she's too busy doing the dishes. So she's got you in the little bouncy thing all the time. And then she's like changing the other kid's diaper. And so she's distracted. Does that stuff count or it's more severe? Yes. Neglect? No, then th no, like that is exactly it. That right there is what will cause a child to have an insecure attachment, which means that they have a worldview starting at age one, that they are not safe, that they may not be okay, that the world is scary, that they're having to figure a lot of this out on their own, and that life is overwhelming, and it's easier to escape into your toys, into your own head, because no one is really there emotionally present to be there to support you and your needs. Now, can you reverse this at an earlier age if you don't wait until yes. you're like 40 to address yes. it? Yes. Yes. And that's exactly what I did with my son. Right. So I adopted him when he was five. I got him when he was four from the foster care system and he was very traumatized. Right. It wasn't just the small T stuff. It wasn't just mom is busy and distracted. Mom was using substances, even in utero. And there was severe neglect, severe abuse of all kinds. And it took us a long time, partly because I also didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't learned any of this yet. This is this was my motivation for learning all of this. Um, so it took us a long time, six years to really figure out how do I rewire a child's nervous system when they're coming out of childhood with this insecure attachment and really attachment trauma because of the effects long-term on the nervous system. But the, the, the nervous system, if that is how it is formed and developed, right? Cause that's all when it's, this is all even pre-verbal stuff, Evan, right? Like Whoa. this isn't even just, oh, I remember my mom telling me one time that, you know, I wasn't good enough or no, like this is all pre-verbal. This is the emotional presence and attunement that sets your nervous system up for either feeling secure and safe and creative in the world or feeling insecure and, uh, lost and confused and overwhelmed. And I'm going to have a strong pull towards the freeze response for the rest of my life unless I do this work and rewire that. Good Lord. So when you see all the women like with the baby strapped on, that's probably the best thing they could be doing. Yes, as long as the baby is facing in towards them. Right. Right. Because a baby is not prepared to face the world. <laughs> literally. That is literally, that is overwhelming to their system. You will be putting them in the freeze response every time someone walks by or there's a dog or there's a car, like they are not prepared for that. They need to be faced inwards so that they're up looking at your face with anything, any new noise, any change, any person approaching. They need to be so connected to you because that's where they're getting their information of, is this safe or is this not safe? When they can't see you because you're behind them, they have no context. They feel like they have just been opened up to the world and they need to go into the freeze response to, to 
because they feel that overwhelmed. They don't, they can't manage their nervous system. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, part of me, you kind of get this pressure from society. Like a lot of my family members have been like, well, you know, how's your kids going to get socialized? You know, we talked about like homeschooling them or doing like uh, group school where we've got kids coming over and that kind of stuff. Like, well, how are they going to get socialized? And so then you, you, people kind of make me feel like, well, I'm just sheltering them and you're, they're not going to turn out good because you're sheltering them. It's like, I just want to get your feedback on this. When I'm in the city and I hear traffic and I see freaking, you know, sirens everywhere and, you know, car exhaust fumes and smoke and all of that. I mean, I don't want to say it puts me in the freeze response, maybe more in the sympathetic response. But when I come home and I've got a nice pond with a fountain, I've got five acres, I've got tons of birds and birdhouses everywhere, and I watch the deer and the turkey, that pulls me out of it. So am I helping myself or am I making myself a more sensitive snowflake because I live in the country and all the city people, they're just tougher than me because they're used to the sirens. I mean, are they tougher? Probably not. They're They're probably broken. No, they're living – exactly. They're broken and in the freeze response constantly surrounded by noise, which is a, a sense of danger or at least potential threat to the nervous system. Cause I can't stand it. And I'm like, okay, is there something wrong with me or is that environment is a sick environment and I do need to stay away from it. Yes. That, that environment living in the middle of that environment is one of the worst things that a person can do for their nervous system. Okay. Cause like when I have clients like in Manhattan and they're trying to work with me, and they've got their earbuds in, I have to like pull the earbuds out every five seconds because there's another siren going down the road. And they're like, I'm right. sorry about that. And I'm like, I haven't heard sirens where I live ever. Like right. sirens don't even exist here. I don't even know how you do that. And, that. and that's a big problem because when that is the new baseline, we have pretended to adjust to it. But again, adjustment has just looked like us going into the freeze response and ignoring the danger signals that are going on in our body and how it's actually changing our physiology that we're constantly in a survival state. So you're saying I'm actually doing good things for me and my children by having nothing but the sound of the birds as opposed to feeling like I'm supposed to, quote, expose them and put them in all these loud, stressful environments. I think you're doing great. Now, there's a difference between exposure and living in it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, we like to, I mean, my daughter gets excited when we go into the city and if we go yeah, to Whole exactly. Foods and there's busyness exactly. and people going around, exactly. she, li- she likes it. Right. 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 And so, but you can only, you can own the nervous system. The body can only tolerate that and handle it well when it has this huge buffer of resilience. Mm. And it's a and dose. It's a dose of exactly, it. It's, it's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's an hour and your, your of stress and can, noise and whatever. And your, then back to the peace. body can bounce back from that. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just feel bad for all the kids that have had to watch all the people yes. in the world with masks on. They're so confused yes. by it. Well, not only that, but when you understand how the nervous system registers danger or safety, facial expressions are a huge piece of our automatic in a second, being able to judge whether that person is safe or not. So how much have the mask increased the traumatization of this whole experience? Exactly. How, how bad, how bad has it? I mean, it's got to make it a ton worse. Yes. And what I think we can use for best quantifying that is to see the increase in mental health problems in children. 
And that's huge. I've seen a couple papers. You it's may have been tracking huge. it closer than me, but I've seen depression and anxiety in children, adolescents. Like, I don't even remember the numbers. Massive. Massive. Why children? Why are you saying that? Because they need the facial expressions more than adults in terms of like regulating. Exactly. Yep. Their nervous system is still developing, right? Like we don't have a fully developed nervous system until uh, early 20s. For men, it's age 25. And so during that period of development, we're still getting a lot of information from our environment. That's how we're creating our, our sense of how do we do life. And so being able to effectively read messages helps us know what to do. And when we have that, um, when we have that, that sensory message taken away, cause it's almost like, you know, having your eyes taken away, like, okay, you can't, you can't see that that's no longer a source of information for you. You're having to rely on your other senses more. And so that's causing this imbalance then in the nervous system for its normal, healthy development of learning signals and cues that are nonverbal from the environment to be able to judge safety or danger. Well, I don't want to make this sound like a rant or like I'm looking for a pity party, but one thing I've noticed, and my wife kind of pointed this out to me, is that when she's out like in the grocery and people need to like squeeze by her, people used to say, excuse me, and people do not say, excuse me anymore. They'll bump into her. They'll smash carts. They'll like race to try to get in front of her. She said that drivers like in a, on a, on a highway that we have here, it's a 55 mile an hour highway. She said people used to drive like maybe 65, 70. So they're already going like 15 miles an hour over. She goes, now the normal quote, normal speed is 80 in a 55. And this is something interesting. When I used to live in Las Vegas, that pace of life was already there. And when I moved back to Kentucky, I thought, wow, this is amazing because Kentucky still preserved. Like if I'm going fast, I'm passing people. Now, me who was, quote, a little bit of a faster driver, I'm getting passed. And I'm like, oh my God, the, the, the fast, I call it the fast virus. I'm like, the fast virus has spread. And now Kentucky, 80 and a 55 speed limit is, is quote, the normal. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the difference in amino acids, especially like the dopamine, right? And so what happens is that when we've gone into the freeze response, we're not really feeling as much. We're, we're not feeling life as much. We're not feeling how fast we're going as much. We're not feeling how close I am to somebody, let alone not to mention, you know, kind of like the, the dehumanizing when I haven't even been able to see their face or when I've seen them as a, as a danger because they might give me COVID. Um, but we're not feeling things as much. And so we actually have to push the edge. We have to go faster. We have to go further in order to just feel like, oh, oh yeah, I am, I am here. I am driving. I am going fast, but oh. it's, it's changed our, changed our barometer in terms of how much we actually feel because of how less present we are. Whoa. Yeah. And just to clarify, I mean, this is only in the past year. I mean, people a year yep. ago didn't drive like that. People used to exactly. say, excuse me a year ago. Uh, yep. People used to say hello to our children. I mean, my kids are super cute. So like Jenna, the little two, she just turned two. She's in the, in the grocery cart and you know, hello. And she's like waving to people and people used to say, hi, honey, and wave to her and stuff. Nobody waves. Nobody says hello to her anymore. Yeah. I think we are just, just starting to really see the chronic effects on mental health and, and inc I'm including like social, um, interactions as a result of COVID. Wow. Well, I, I mean, hopefully gonna... we're not all stuck though. I mean, surely there's a way out of this. And if it's only happened for a give or take a year, 
rather than 10 years of this. I mean, hopefully there's a pullout and people will reset. I mean, do you think people are coming back? I mean, I don't know what you're seeing there locally here. There's still some people with masks, for example, but like we went to Target, none of the employees had masks on and they were so freaking happy. They were smiling ear to ear. And uh, I knew where the Epsom salt was, but the guy's like, can I help you with something? And he's got the biggest <laughs> smile. I'm like, yes, you can. And I didn't have a mask on and I'm smiling at him and I'm like, where's the Epsom salt? And he's like, I'll take you right this way, sir. And this guy was like, just ecstatic to smile at me and me smile at him just to show me where the Epsom salt was. And I'm like, I'm ne- I've never seen such joy. So I-, I hope, and I get goosebumps just thinking of this, I hope that there's a massive rebound effect and we realize just how much this did screw us up mentally and that the mental work may be potentially more deadly because it's longer term and could lead to the suicide rates going up and all that. Hopefully, hopefully there's a rebound happiness that comes out of this. I don't know what you foresee. Well, and I, again, I come back to, I think that this is where we have the opportunity and there is a hope for a lot of lessons learned from this last year of what it is that we truly need to be healthy, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just food. It's not just water. Like it, it is social interactions. It is community. It is touch. You know, like these are the things that we need in order to truly be healthy as people. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity to learn this, to be aware of this, to make our world better. Um, because I don't think that for everyone, it will be natural to rebound. It really depends on their nervous system and how overwhelmed and shut down they've become. It Mm -hmm. may take a while. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I think there's some people that won't pull out of it. I mean, you've still got, you've still got, you know, some older ladies that still have two masks on and they look like deer in headlights. I mean, you can just see it in their eyes. They're in freeze response. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes. That would be very much the freeze response. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I want to ask one thing and that we got, I mean, I could literally talk all day. I mean, it's like, okay, let's take a pee break. Let's drink some water, get some snacks. Let's keep this thing going all night till the sun goes down because this, I'm telling you, this is one of the best podcasts I've done all year. And I think one of the most important maybe ever and, in, in 400 episodes of me recording stuff. So, uh, but, so I just want to say, thank you. You're amazing. And then uh, answer the question on the massage. So what about massage? I mean, when I get a massage, I feel amazing. I'm like, Ooh, I'm just like super connected. Like the trees look greener. The sky looks bluer. I feel super reconnected after a massage. Yes. So that was the other thing that I did in addition to the dance lessons. So I started weekly massages and weekly acupuncture in addition to my two, two, uh, private dance lessons a week. Really? So, okay. Like yes. deep, like deep tissue, like lotion or oil, like super like groovy stuff or more like myofascial stuff. Or, I mean, there's a lot of variety. So it would depend on the day because if I am overwhelmed, my body can't handle a deep tissue massage. Understood. But if I'm good, if I'm in a good place, then my body really benefits from the deep tissue massage. So it really does depend on where my system is at to know, again, you know, kind of just like with the supplements and the herbs, right? Like depends on where you are on that spectrum of stress to overwhelm and freeze to know what your body uh, will benefit from and what will be too much for it that it'll just kind of even push it further. And you said twice, you said twice a week massage. Are you talking one hour? Uh, as often as possible. So I was doing once a week massage and two times a week with my dance lessons and then the acupuncture, trying to think if there was anything else that I put into place. No, that those, those things were it. And I, and I did that immediately 
when I knew that my ability to get my usual hugs from my coworkers uh, and being able to spend time with my friends and get that touch and hugs was going to go down. And so it was something where it's like, I know how important touch is for my system. I have learned that. I know this. And I know that if I, if I wait to put this into place, I'm going to just be already pushing myself to the edge. And I want to, I want to keep myself as buffered as possible, as resilient as possible, um, for who knows what's going to come still, right? Like we were just at the beginning of that. Oh man. And so I can't, I, I we, whenever there is a time of, conference or whatever and we get to meet each other i'm gonna hug you for like two minutes because <laughs> i've ne- i've never heard anybody quantify their hugging like like i do like i think about that like with my wife i'll be like honey that was only six seconds i wanted an eight second hug like get back over here <laughs> that's amazing evan because this is this is what i will do to my friends you know we'll hug and i'll be like oh that, that just doesn't doesn't feel quite right uh, hug me a little harder, a little tighter, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll give them that feedback so that we both walk away, like feeling like we really connected well. And I'm waiting for that deep, spontaneous breath and that relaxation of my body, uh, during a hug. And that's, and that's, yeah. So that's, that's what I, when we, when we do meet in person and, and we get that hug, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure and let you know, you know, if, if you're doing it right, or if I need you to do it just a little differently for me to feel that true connection and co-regulation with you. <laughs> well, and, and, and some people may like, Oh my God, listen to these two hippies, but this is like ancestral stuff. I mean, this is yeah. not crazy at all. And probably ancestrally, it would have been skin to skin. You would have had yes. your skin on my skin. It wouldn't have even been through shirts. So even at that level, right. we're still going to be disconnected if we have our shirts on. So, but ancestrally, this is something we did. We held our children and we we embraced each other. So this is like very very primal stuff that we're talking. This is not crazy stuff at all. And yeah, yeah I'm kind of the hug coach too. Like my wife, she'll sometimes she'll kind of shimmy over to the side to where like her heart is a little too far away. I'm like, no, I need your heart like over here. You need to scoot over like three inches and no, you need to put your arm down here (laughs) and I'm going to go up and over and you're going to go under the armpit. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Now, hold on. (laughs) Now, now I'm going to go both arms under your armpits and you're going to go above my shoulders. Okay. No, that doesn't feel right. Let me go one up, one down. And then like uh, her mom, my mother-in-law, she came up to me the other day and she tried to do kind of like a, like a nonchalant, like side hook. So she came up and she was like, see you later. And she put it around me. I'm like, what are you like? My, my, my first time like friend, like, what is this? I need you full frontal here. Like come full frontal, full embrace. And she relaxed and she breathed. And I said, see, wasn't that better? And she's like, yeah, it was. So then uh, yesterday when I saw her, she, she goes, all right, come on. I'm ready for my full frontal hug. So see, that's just it, Evan. Like when, when you've experienced a true hug and felt what it does to your body, anything else is just kind of like really unsatisfactory. (laughs) I don't, I don't even like new meeting new women. I I don't like to shake women's hands and I, I, maybe some women are not cool with that, but most women are. I'm like, no, is if that's okay, I'm just, I'm going to go for a hug. I don't know about you. Do you, do you handshake men? Do you hug men? Um, it depends on them. Okay. I am a hugger. So if I'm meeting people, like even just this morning, like I met two new people, I've talked with them on the phone before, but it was the first time in person. It's like, we're moving in for a hug, right? Like we're not going to do the handshake thing. Uh, we're both of that, of that energy. So I do probably that empath in me reads their energy Mm -hmm. and what they would be comfortable with and uncomfortable with and, and adapt, adapt to that. But, but naturally, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hugging. Nice. I love it. See, that's how simple all this could be. We just need more hugs in the world. We need, we do. We need more hugs. We need a lot more touch. We need a lot more healthy touch and hugs. Well, I'm going to get back to more massages because that that's incredible. What about like, were there, are there any other tools or herbs or supplements or homeopathic, you know, homeop, I can't even say no homeopathic remedies, any other things like that that you're using? Like, Hey, I need to reset or I'm feel like I'm potentially going closer to freeze. I'm going to do this to like pull me out or kind of like go around this speed bump here. So the other things that I use are peptides. So I actually use a number of peptides. I use melanotan too. I use BPC-157. I do have the thymosin alpha, thymosin beta, all to help regulate my tissues, my immune system. The melanotan too, I love for my gut inflammation and my brain inflammation. And anytime that a person is in the freeze response, brain inflammation does tend to be more common in those people. So I've got, I've got that side of things, but then I also do, uh, the, um, infra radiation with my biomat. And that's been a huge thing for when my body goes into shutdown and overwhelm. And so I will actually sleep on that. And especially on my back, because both the heat and then that that radiation on my back, it, I mean, it's right there against my nervous system and I can feel things just starting to soften, to open up, to relax, to, to start working again. Cause part of energy conservation is just shutting everything down, shutting the digestive system down, shutting everything down. And so that heat and that gentle activation really starts to help bring me out of it. So th- those would be my other primary tools that just off the top of my head, I'd be like, Evan, those have been g- big game changers for me that I still use on a regular basis, both to keep me out, but then definitely once I, uh, when and if I go in to, to help pull myself out as quickly as possible. That's amazing. Yeah. I've heard of people doing massages on biomats. Yep. Okay. So are you a fast yep. driver? Are you an average driver? Tell us the truth. Uh, I'm a very fast driver. See, I love driving fast, but I mean... I've got a Tesla and it's really fast and torquey. So I like to feel the torque. I have a, a, a Honda Civic SI mm-hmm. and it's, I, I love to feel that response. So it's a, it's a stick shift mm-hmm. and that's the only, that's the only cars that I can drive. I only drive stick shift because I like to feel that response. I like to feel like I am driving. That's a very interesting point because when I used to drive other, you know, uh, cars or trucks that were not stick shift, I would find myself zoning out and getting to my destination and realizing that I really wasn't present during my driving. And so switching to a stick shift car helps me stay out of the freeze response and stay present and active during the whole process. Wow. Well, so. you'd be super freeze response. And if you're in a Tesla that's virtually silent and you're on autopilot <laughs> yes. and you're not, you're just looking yes. out the window, like, Oh, look, there's a somebody over there. I, it might be different now because I've done so much work on my system, yeah. but certainly certainly before that would have been a big problem for me. No, I agree. I mean, I've driven stick shift Porsche and it's very engaging. You can't yes. focus on anything you, else but the road. Yep. Oh, and that's, 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 what, that's, that's what I need. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I got to let you go, but uh, you're amazing and I want people to check you out and also check out the summit. It's going to be an absolutely incredible event. I would have already done a plug in the intro, assuming people didn't make it an hour and 23 minutes in. They already heard the promo in the beginning, but here's another promo. I'm going to give you the link for it. It'll be evanbrand.com slash trauma. That is going to be Dr. Amy's event. You need to register for it. It's going to be probably one of the most important events of your life. So no exaggeration. I really think this is something we're all... 
I think there's some dark times ahead if we don't start addressing this. And so people really got to start pulling themselves out of this now. And there are tools and resources in there. And then what about like websites, any other places people need to check out for you or clinical help? Yeah. So they can actually find me at traumahealingaccelerated.com. And I have a quiz there that people can take that is uh, a quiz on stored trauma. And if they have stored trauma that's affecting their biology and what is their specific biology of trauma, seeing if there's any work that needs to be done on their system to make it better. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Evan. Take it easy. All right. I hope you enjoyed that one. I could have gone for two, three, four hours with her, but I think an hour and a half is good enough for now. If you enjoyed that episode, let me know. Give me some feedback. I would love to see your review on your Apple Podcast app. If you are tuning in with an iPhone, that's the easiest way and the most visible way for me to see your reviews. We've got over 500 five-star reviews on the Evan Brand Show. So add some stars. Give me some comments. Let me know what you think. I would really, really appreciate it. And if you need help clinically, please reach out. EvanBrand.com has all the details. You can book a 15-minute free call with Megan. She's my functional medicine practitioner on staff. She's amazing. You'll love her at no charge. You can speak with her, talk with her about your symptoms, your goals. What have you been through? Did you have tick bites? Did you have mold exposure? Do you have gut infections? Do you think you have parasites? I mean, those are the type of questions we ask. And then we determine if you're a good fit for care and if we can help you out, we certainly will do that. In the meantime, it's heating up. If you're listening to this, it's June 1st. That came fast, but... I definitely want to encourage you to check out my hydration essentials. That is the electrolyte formula that I take every day this time of the year. I've got about 1,700 milligrams of a mixed source vitamin C in there. Also, you've got your bioflavonoids. You've got your sodium, your potassium, your taurine, your ribose. It's the best electrolyte formula out there, and I don't say that lightly. I say it because we work with professional healthcare companies who don't play around with quality and potency and purity. So try it out. Hydration Essentials, a scoop a day with some cold water. It will quench your thirst so unbelievably good, you cannot believe it. And I haven't had mine yet. I, I probably need to. I've just got my vitamin C powder here, but I need to hit the electrolytes too. So try it out. And if you need help in the meantime, please reach out. We'll be in touch next week. All right. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good. Yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl and I never please her She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible blues Why I'm in a tie, I got to watch out, girl Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting Let me be the one 